Alright, starting the broadcast. As soon as it changes from off-air, I'll start. Hello, and welcome to episode 21 of the Push to Shout podcast. I'm skipping And welcome to Go. We got all kinds of great stuff for you today. Our good friend Zoe Quinn, up to some shenanigans, don't miss that. A new console from Nintendo, them breaking into the lucrative uh, smartphone market, you know, just exactly what you'd expect from them, and so much more. But before we get to that stuff, how was your week, Skippy? Uh, pretty good. Um, I have some things to say about Hotline Miami that I'm going to save for now. Uh, maybe that'll be the last thing we talk about, because I think... That might be that might end up being a very long conversation. Um, I bought Kerbal Space Program. Actually, I bought it quite a while ago, and I only just recently installed it. And I am kind of addicted to it. I'm really surprised. I mean, like I I knew I would like it because I've played back when it was free and really simple. I played it and got to the moon and everything, and had a lot of fun doing that. But like, they've added a ton of features since the last time I played it, which was years ago, and. Uh, you can make a space plane, and you can you can dock with space stations and all sorts of stuff, and it's pretty neat. Um, I I just I am really surprised at how much fun I'm having with it, and it's a really good game to play while you're like listening to the Interstellar soundtrack and re-entering the atmosphere and listening to the organ music and shit. That's pretty cool. Um, I I just I really like that game. Um, it's pretty impressive too. Just it's kind of it's like an indie game, but it actually has like a pretty impressive engine with the the, the amount of I guess just the, the scale of the game. Uh, it's it's really impressive. Um, I also <laughs> I watched some esports. Did you watch some esports last week? I didn't watch any CS:GO. Well, kind of beats the tournament. I've been uh, basically I'm out of the game. You're out of it. <laughs> um, I'm not out of it. I, I still like that game quite a bit, although I haven't played in like the last week. But um, I watched ESO one Cat of Pizza, Cat of Visa, however you say it. Cat Pizza, Cat Pizza. Uh, it was actually it was a pretty good little tournament. I, 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 the, fi- the the finale was looking or the final game was looking like it was going to be a, like it got to the third map and then it it looked like it was going to be a shutout, like it was going to be like fifteen to three or something like that, and then uh. Ninjas in Pajamas came back from like way behind. They won like seven games in a row, and it was pretty exciting. But uh, in the end, they lost. Uh, but yeah, I, I I have a surprising amount of fun watching Counter Strike competitive. Like, it doesn't seem like one of those things I'd really enjoy watching. But I don't know. It's it, there's a surprising amount of depth to that game, and it's really impressive uh, what 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 they do sometimes. And I don't know. It's not one of those things that like I get really into, but I like I like watching it, just having it on. Uh, it's always fun. Although it is in like it was at like seven a.m., so I wasn't watching it live. As far um, as, as far as like esports go, it's not like I have any contempt for CS:GO competitive yeah. or anything. I just kind of lost interest in it over time. But melee is kind of becoming that for me. I, I really enjoy watching those games. Yeah. Uh, one thing I've noticed about myself recently is that I like I can only get into one game at a time, like. Right when I started playing uh, Kerbal Space Program, I stopped even thinking about Hotline Miami 2. Right when I started playing Hotline Miami 2, I stopped even thinking about Counter-Strike. Um, 
it's really annoying because I, I end up not finishing any games. I get like halfway through them yeah. and then I, another game comes out or I buy another game and then like that's it for the last game. Uh, I, 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 I work hard to fight against that because it's just like I get addicted to a game and that's the only thing I play. Um, but yeah, not much to say about not much to say about ESL one. It's esports. Um, I played some Arma three with the uh, the Arma group I play with. We uh, we had some fun playing that. It's we're finally it's finally in like a state where I, I doubt you're aware, but like Arma three. Well, this is kind of the case for all Arma games. When they first come out, they're not really suitable for playing uh, if, <laughs> beyond like a really casual level. Um, but then after like a year or two of being out, like enough mods and stuff have come out where they're now playable. And Arma 3 is kind of getting to that point. So we're going to start playing that and it's going to be fun. Not much to say about that either. But there is a lot to say about Hotline Miami. Do you want to talk about this right now? Uh, we could. I don't know. Do we want to? You're the host. I don't know. I, I say we table it for now. Okay. Because, yeah, I probably have a lot to say about it, too, now that I've finished it. Um, so would you call your week finished, then? Uh, yeah, my week is finished. It's officially done. All right. Well, as far as games go, my week was really short. Uh, you know, I've basically just been in the mid-semester crunch for for college, so I've basically just been doing a shit ton of work. But, you know, it's not so bad. It's just, you know, no time to play video games. But I did play one video game besides Hotline Miami 2 that I really loved. It's called The Vanishing of Ethan Carter. And holy shit, it's one of the greatest games I've ever played. Like, I was shocked to hear you say that. Because, like, everything I'd heard about that game was just kind of like, yeah, it's all right. It's like the, whatchamacallit, that that, uh, that source game that came out. Uh, Stanley uh, Parable? No, uh, the one on the island. Oh, um, oh, Dear Esther? Yeah, Dear Esther. Yeah, which nothing people were kind of like lukewarm that. about that. Dear Esther wishes it was this game. Yeah. Like, if, if Dear Esther, if that kind of... if ve- it's, I wanted to say if that kind of sensibility was executed perfectly, it would be Ethan Carter, but even that's not true. Like, the, the fundamental conception of Ethan Carter is still just infinitely better than, than Dear Esther. That game is honestly amazing might be an actual 10 out of 10. Does it like go places beyond what it looks like? Because it looks like you just yes. walk around yep. and find yep. clues to some kind of mystery and that's it. It, Like, I I want to talk about this game so much, but I, I wouldn't be able to forgive myself if I spoiled it. You yeah. have to play it. It's it's really short. You have to. It's it's an actual 10 out of 10 for me. It's All right. honestly that good. Um, it It actually manages to do... It's probably the most inventive use of like storytelling in games so far, um, it, and it doesn't compromise like a challenge in favor of the story. Like the very first um, thing you're shown in the game is this is a narrative experience that does not hold your hand, and that's very much true. And the entire time you get a sense that the game isn't coddling you. That even though it's trying to tell a story, um, it, it it doesn't it trusts you to be able to figure it out, which is so important for a game like that. If it's gonna even have any type of mysterious elements that you're meant to figure out, it has to trust you, and this game does. So, 
and somebody actually in the chat said Brew reveals his love for walking sims. Um, the funny thing is, like, this game is kind of like, this was the redemption that walking simulators yeah. as a genre needed. Like, um, you know, Gone Home kind of poisoned the well a little bit, and some other games kind of, you know, they they tarnished the reputation of kind of just walking around and not doing very mechanically challenging things. But that's a good, like, um, conceit for a game. And Ethan Carter proved that absolutely. If I had um, played that last year, it would have been unquestionably my favorite game in 2014. I'm really interested to see how it is. I'm definitely going to check it out. I, I, I have extreme doubts that I'll love it anywhere near as much as you're, yeah. <laughs> you apparently do. I, Maybe I, so. But like everything I've heard about it, it was like all people would do is say like, "Oh yeah, that game looks really good. It looks really nice." And then they don't say anything about the story or the gameplay. They just say, "Yeah, it looks really good." I, I mean, I thought, I mean, not just I thought the game objectively looks phenomenal. It uses a technique called um, photogrammetry, and it kind of like textures the objects in the game using actual photos of the objects. Yeah. So it has some of the best texture work period in any video game maybe the best but while i was playing it that i wasn't like aware of that technique yet like i hadn't seen the trailers that explained the technique before the game came out which was a pretty big push from them to try to sell it and um you know which is justified because it, it does look so good but that was just kind of part of the experience for me like if i was going to talk about you know what makes that game so great that would be maybe fourth or fifth down the list it's it's phenomenal it's, it's right. so good and i i don't want to say any more about it everybody owes it to themselves to experience that it's really oh. special okay <laughs> uh high praise yeah uh i don't think uh, you don't have anything else to talk about this week do you uh, besides hotline miami no i mean yeah. I, I can tell a little little story that just happened to me uh, it's very Go small. For it. Wait, we have stupid. plenty of time because there's no, 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 no. It's it's real small. It's so short and stupid. Oh, I want it, I want it to be a really long story. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I make it long. I mean, stuff describe in imaginary details, it. but it literally takes course over like less than a second. I was just walking down the stairs, a very long flight of stairs, and I fell. But I, I fell like all the way down the stairs. Very long distance, <laughs> my feet. It's like fine. Like I didn't, I didn't hit anything. It was very strange. Did you tumble like over heels? No, or I just like you slid. I, I like slid, but barely. I was like barely grazing each step. Like that, I, like that, that gift that's in reverse, where the guy like goes up the stairs like without my, moving his feet. My ass and the the corners of the stairs were running tangent to each other, and it was just a perfect descent. And I just landed fine at the bottom. It must have been like 10 or 11 stairs. So I just wanted to share that. Good story. Yeah. Let's talk about how I'm Miami. I, I want to hear yeah. your yeah. opinion after finishing it first. So I want to hear your opinion. Okay. So I think that some of the design choices weren't good, especially the length of hallways. I also think that as like an artistic experience, it left a much stronger impression on me. I think with the release of the level editor, it's going to be the definitive Hotline Miami. 
And I think that sometimes it may have spent less or not enough time focusing on its own design choices as a single player experience, you know, contained in itself because of that. But overall, I think it's the stronger game for the music story and for the majority of the missions. I think uh, musically, I mean, we discussed this part last week when we we had only played you know less than half the game. Musically, it's definitely the better game. I mean, it, Hotline Miami had a fantastic soundtrack, but I liked Hotline Miami 2. Like I instantly fell in love with Hotline Miami's two two soundtrack. Um, artistically, like as far as like like what we discussed last week again, like the guy who if you if you beat someone up on the ground, then the screen turns red and you can suddenly like pick up a gun and kill people. That stuff's really cool. Uh, that you don't get as much of that in Hotline Miami One. Um, it's more straightforward, I guess. And like the cutscenes where like the what's his name Richard the Chicken Mask appears, that stuff's really good. Um, but gameplay wise, is is like I, I I was really enjoying the game basically up to the point where we had the podcast and talked about it, and I, I was singing its praises. Uh, and then I finished it and. First of all, I even had I had trouble finishing that game. Like I, when I got towards like, I got to the point where like the last army level, and I'm not going to talk about major spoilers, but there's probably going to be minor spoilers. Um, the last army level gets really hard if you like, or maybe not the last one, like second to last. I don't know. I choose like a machine gun, and I ran out of ammo really quickly. And there's just this map where it's like designed by a fucking sadist because. Do you mean if the one where it's up, like very, very tan? I, or do you mean the power plant? No, not the power plant. It was the, the one I before guess it was, that. Yeah, probably the one before that. Uh, it was like a barracks or something like that. Yeah, it was like that, a very wide very tan, open level. Yeah. I think it was you chapter to, like, 14. Yeah, scene there's, 14. Some, there's some patrolling soldiers. You have to go over to the left. I remember the pattern. You go over to the left, you kill two soldiers over there. You have to wait for them to come to you or else if you, if you pop out, you'll get killed. So you have to wait for them to come to you, kill them, go well, over to the right, do the same thing. Well, it's interesting, though, that you're criticizing it that way. When I, every time I play that level a completely different way, I've never done what you did. Every time I went to the right. Well, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I only had, I had like two bullets. And there's, there's two soldiers, the kind that, uh, that you can only shoot, those big fat guys. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? There's two of those soldiers that are patrolling, and if you want to get more ammo, you have to go past them, which you're going to uh, you're going to pull at least one away. Um, and then to get ammo, you have to go through more soldiers. And so you're going to have to shoot that guy, and you're going to have to be pinpoint accurate because I only had two bullets. <laughs> and to pull those guys by themselves and not get shot by another soldier, I had to kill all the soldiers around them so that they wouldn't get aggroed. And so I had to kill everyone and then aggro those guys and shoot them one at a time. And it was just really tedious. It took forever. And it was the complete... And this is only just an example. It's the complete opposite of what I want from a Hotline Miami game, which is to run into a fucking room, bashing heads in, and then run to the next room and bash heads in and knock people over with doors and stuff. This one, that that wide open level design that, it, that people keep criticizing just killed it for me because I, I, I found myself having to just wait constantly, wait for the patrols to come over or pull people out by like peeking around corners and then going back in the corner and getting the guy to run to you and, and, and then killing him. 
that's not fun. That's not fast paced. It's not the kind of thing I'm looking for. And it doesn't build combos and all that stuff. It's like the game is actively discouraging you from building co combos. And in a lot of instances, you have to use a gun because they're so far away and there's there's like no other option. And and that just, God, that just, it, did it, you, it depressed me. Did you ever replay that level using something other than the machine gun? I haven't, and I do plan to go back through and, and replay some levels. That is that is a legitimate problem. Like the machine gun in those um, beard levels, they are, didn't give you enough ammo with it. It's bad. Like yeah, but I ditched it pretty quickly. Like I I got to like the second I don't know what you'd call that floor screen. It doesn't yeah, really whatever. seem like floors because they're just not actually moving elevation. I don't think, but um. Like, as soon as I got to the second area and I had, like, a, a bullet, I'm like, fuck this. And then I restarted with the shotgun, and it was quite a bit more tolerable. I um, should have restarted that one, honestly. I mean, that's one of the worst examples. And I mean, by worst, I mean, like, most egregious. And a lot of it is just because, yeah, I got unlucky with the ammo count and stuff like that. But there are also a lot of levels that just, like, straight from the beginning. Okay. <laughs> There's one where... It's like a club or something. You bash in through the front door, and there's a guy with a shotgun that you knock over every time. And then there's like ten people that you pull onto you, and they all have melee weapons. Oh, the zebra! You know what I'm talking about? I love that one. Holy shit! How do you love that? Because they come, they're on a random patrol route, and so every single time you bash open that door, I've never had come trouble with that. Pattern. I, I was getting killed by them constantly because I would, I would swing the weapon bowled back over and forth. all ten of them every time. Like that was so really? fun for me. Yeah, because I, I even if I like held down the mouse button where I'm just swinging as fast as possible, they'd get in between my swings and kill me. Constantly. What, what I did is I like I knocked the first one over, and then I waited, and then as soon as I got near the first one. I punched and then tried to move through as many of them as possible. And yeah. while moving through them, right-click real fast to pick up a weapon and then bash the head in of whoever's it, left. It frustrated me because it seemed like they were just getting, like, there was, like, one frame where I wasn't punching where they would get in and hit me instantly. Um, but that didn't frustrate me as much. Like, that's whatever. It's right at the beginning of the level, so you can just restart every time. What frustrated me is there were, there were a few times where I'd bowl over all the enemies and I'd be like, yes, and then I'd be, like, executing them. And then randomly, because they're on a random patrol route, which I've complained about with the first game too, a guy with a shotgun appears, or doesn't even appear. He shoots me from off screen because he's patrolled into the area and noticed me. Oh, the guy shot at the top me. left. Yeah. And it's like, well, shit. You know, like, what do I do? Nothing. Like, there's nothing you can do about it. And uh, that that happened in the first game a lot too. Like, okay, so I replayed Hotline Miami one to kind of figure out my feelings on the second one. Like, which one's better? Which one? Like, what does it improve and all that stuff? First of all, I played all the way through Hotline Miami 1 in a few hours. I loved it. I had a lot of fun replaying Hotline Miami 1, which I, I was surprised because I was ready to kind of not enjoy the experience very much. But I was having a lot of fun, a lot more fun than I was having with Hotline Miami 2 because, again, it's, that, it's, that, it's mostly the level design. Smaller rooms, more doors, more ways to just rush through a level as quickly as possible. I was getting more A's and, and just having more fun with it. And uh, there were some frustrating points in Hotline Miami 1 where I was like, oh yeah, this point. Like, there's one where there's a guy with a shotgun behind some glass and you have to run across a hallway and basically there's a 60% chance that you'll make it across and a 40% chance that he'll shoot you and kill you and there's nothing you can do about it. That was annoying. Uh, but for the most part, I really enjoyed Hotline Miami 1 and it was a tighter experience, both on an individual design and on an overall experience. It was It was less long and that I think... I think the length of Hotline Miami 2 was a little bit... It, it was a little too long. Um, 
I think I would have been more fine with like some bonus levels. Like if you're really enjoying what you're doing, then like harder bonus levels that aren't part of the story because I ended up feeling like I was forcing myself to get through it because it was so long. Um, but that's, again, that's part of, part of the reason for that is because I didn't enjoy it very much. But, um, but then story wise, <laughs> part of the reason I played through Hotline Miami one was because I was confused the entire way through the second one as to what the fuck was going on with the story. I never, it was never clear to me. And at the end, I'm not going to say what happened in case for whatever reason someone has, I don't know, maybe we should just bought, like shouldn't care about spoilers because if, if you haven't played it, whatever. But um, at the end, I was like, why did this happen? Like, why, <laughs> why is this happening? And I, I had no context. Like I vaguely remembered the ending to Hotline Miami 1 having to do with like Russia and America and stuff, but like that very was- vague absolutely the point in my opinion like i mean basically without directly saying what happens it's kind it kind of just undermines everything in one fell swoop and that sort of seems hotline miami to me that the first one seemed very much to be saying um there is no meaning to this violence yeah it is meaningless and it was a meta does, commentary on the game, on what you're doing in the game. You're, you're, you're committing violence in the game, and it's like, you like hurting people um, yeah. because you're playing the game. And, and the, second one, the second one, Richter, or not Richter, Richard. Richard. Yeah, Richter's a different character. He's the rat, I think. Yeah, uh, Richard is kind of still affirming the message from the first one. But then you have all this other story nonsense going on, jumping between characters and time periods and things weaving together and very confusing things. And and then like it's it creates the illusion almost that there's some kind of meaning taking shape. Yeah. And then it, it shatters it all at once. And I really like that. I, um I think I think it really effectively built on the themes of the first in a way that only a sequel could have. I know what you mean, uh, but I I found, like, I never really had that feeling of, oh, this is all going to come together. It was like, because I had so little idea of what was actually happening. Like, when I went to Hawaii and I was shooting Russians, like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I, I didn't understand the... Al- I didn't understand even if it was supposed to be an alternate history. Oh, absolutely it was, yeah. Well... But at the time, I know that now, but at the time I was going, is this supposed to be an alternate history or am I in a dream? Because Hotline Miami, in half like half the time, the whole idea is that you like your character doesn't know if he's dreaming or not or whatever. Yeah. Like there's to- there's so many dream sequences that are presented as being real until the end. And so I'm thinking uh, he's dreaming about being at war in Hawaii in nineteen eighty-five. Nope, that's actually happening. And then at the end, it's a really major part of the plot, and I'm going, what the fuck? And I, I agree that that's part of the point that you're supposed to go what the fuck, but the fact that I it's it's getting there. It was the getting there part that I didn't like because there were so many characters and so much jumping around and so little actually explained that I, I, I was just confused the whole time, and so the ending didn't have as much of an impact because I was confused the whole way through. Uh, it would have helped if I had replayed Hotline Miami one right before I played the second one, but uh, it, I. I I feel like it was just a little bit too. It, it, there was too much going on with that story, and not enough explained with that much stuff going on. But I, the story is one of the least of my criticisms. I did enjoy the story, the stuff that I did understand, and then when I went back and like figured out what happened, I I, I gained a new impre- appreciation of it. Like I, I think it is interesting, uh, 
but the, but I like Hotline Miami One's story quite a bit because it's so simple. It's like it it, it it's it has little twists and turns and stuff, and in the end, it's meaningless. But it's a nice little simple little plot, and for the most part, if the level isn't just oh, I got a phone call and I need to go somewhere and kill some people, you understand like where you are and why you're doing the things that you're doing. And in the, in the second one, I half the time, like as I still don't understand why the reporter and the police officer are going over around beating people up and stuff. Like I really, it makes, I don't understand it. What is the, I, what is the point? <laughs> the making you ask that question is the point. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. such a cop out and, though. That's such a cop out. It's not though. It's not, it would be in any other game, but for a game that very explicitly in the first one, the, the real ending, once you piece together the puzzle pixels and yeah. get the, the real ending, like it explicitly tells you basically that that is the point, that it's meant to make you question the meaning and then reveal that there is none. And I think what Hotline Miami 2 did really well, I don't think the ending was perfect because I would have liked to have ended on a character that I cared more about. The yeah. character that you actually end with is kind of... I mean, I didn't... He was basically inconsequential, but maybe that's part of the point too. But most that of them I don't were. think like, what, actually. How was many that characters effective. were actually consequential in this? Well, I, the reporter absolutely was, I think. Um, the cop was too. The cop was one of the most delusional characters in the whole game. That he was almost. I mean, he just goes on ridiculous killing sprees and then tries to just wave the hand at the end. By the way, I'm a cop. Like that, that's that's very Hotline Miami to me, and. The fact that they give you those little glimpses into the characters just enough that they leave an impression and an imprint and then wipe them off the face of reality, that that's where it succeeds, I think. Yeah, um, I definitely see where you're coming from. I, 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 I think that you have a very legitimate point with all that, and I, I do respect a lot of like the things you're saying, like I understand and I, I agree with even, uh, it all comes back to the fact though, that at the time that I was playing it, I, I was so confused and, and disoriented. And again, that's part of the point, but like I didn't enjoy the, the story while I was playing it. I enjoyed it more going back and figuring out, okay, this is what happened. And the story didn't support, again, it was something that where I felt like I was struggling just to get through the game because like, I was. It would just go to the next character, and I was going, "Okay, why? Why am I doing this? Why am I here? Who am I? What?" Like, I didn't have any motivation to to do what I was doing. Um, <sighs> I was kind of. I said this last week, but I'm more convinced of it now that this is probably the closest game uh, to the kind of tone that a Death Grips album captures. Yeah. And I know that you haven't listen to them I don't really even like them that much but as far as that just oppressive schizophrenic confusion violent just incomprehensible violence you get, I don't think it gets better than Hotline Miami 2 that the, the extremely disjointed nature of the story I, I was into that the moment it started like, as soon as it started throwing me around from time period to time period, and tr I could tell it was, like, trying to get me to keep track of those times and dates. Yeah, and, and I and would, so like, I miss, just kinda... like, it only pops up the date for, like, 
three yeah. seconds. And I so just, I would miss it, and I'd be like, I don't even know what fucking time period is. And that would piss me off. Like, maybe that was angry. just a difference in our approaches, because as soon as I, I kind of saw what it was doing, I kind of just... I, I, I let that sort of simmer out in my perception of the game, that I was sort of paying attention to it, but I stopped trying to, like, piece together a coherent string of events. Um, and I don't, I'm not saying that you were trying to, you know, make no, a completely coherent chain and, of events. And, and but... I do agree, too, because I think if the gameplay was more engaging, if I liked it more, then I would probably uh, be more, uh, what would you call it, uh, susceptible to, to <laughs> learning... Or understanding the plot, you know, understanding it on on the level that you're understanding it, which is more of a uh, bigger bigger idea kind of thing, rather than I was focusing a lot on the details and I was getting frustrated with what I didn't know instead of just using what I did know to to build my experience. I I think that the fact that I wasn't having much fun with the game affected that a lot, um, but I still do think that the, the the story was just too too disjointed for like. It, it, it just threw you around too much. Uh, I, I didn't enjoy that. Yeah, I can I can understand and respect that position too. And I I I think that yeah that the enjoyment of the actual gameplay is probably significant in this, and it's probably the reason why such a diversity of opinions exists on the story, because the gameplay of the first one was pretty much universally loved because it is extremely good, and there aren't weird little blunders like long hallways that mar the level design so yeah i guess so i didn't run into some of the same issues that you had during the gameplay itself like i switched to the shotgun pretty early in that that level and i didn't have a problem with the door like little things like that if they had frustrated me for like longer periods of time it would probably be like a lot harder to be an apologist yeah for, and I, i'm i'm a very stubborn game, but I'm a very stubborn kind of player, and so when I figure out a way through a level that I know will work, I keep trying that single because it's like a self-satisfaction kind of thing. Like I know that this will work, even if it isn't necessarily the best way to do it. And 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 the fact that I tried it once means I have to keep trying it until it works. And that's just a, I mean that's a terrible way to try to play Hotline Miami, I think. But uh, and that wasn't always the case because like. Like the doors. You mentioned the doors. I, I I mentioned the doors on Twitter because the doors were something that pissed me off in Hotline Miami One quite a bit because it was they were just gli- they were a glitchy mess. They would mess up a ton of stuff. Like there's just so many things messed up about the doors. Like the way that they swing will sometimes glitch out and they'll go the wrong way. Uh, enemies can sometimes sh- like shoot through them and stuff like in a weird way. I, it, it's it, there's yeah. just the, I never I've never figured out the physics of them and. To me, Hotline Miami 2, if anything, made it even worse, where like enemies would get stuck inside of doors, and you would sit there trying to swing and whack at them, and they would just be like jittering, and you can't even hit them, and then they would kill you. <laughs> and it was like, God fucking damn it, that pisses me off. And then, uh, God, just constant issues with the doors. I was like, I, 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 it was to the point where I couldn't believe that the doors made it to the final game in the state that they were in, because, I mean, how many enemies... Did you see get stuck inside of doors where they would like sit there and jitter? Yeah, that, that all the time. That's basi- that's something that's impossible to defend. Like, I can understand why they were kind of janky in the first one. I mean, it was an untested project by a very very small team, but Hotline Miami One was a resounding success. Like, you figure yeah. that during that time, maybe they could have 
you know, built one less uh, Hawaii level and just <laughs> tweaked the door and, physics a little bit. And part bit. of that comes from just what I expect from it. Like, okay, it's the sequel and it's going to fix all the things I hated about How I Made Me One. And like, in my opinion, it didn't fix anything. And it introduced a few problems, not glitches, but just fundamental gameplay design problems that weren't even really a problem. In, like, we're only a problem in certain levels in Hotline Miami 1. Like, I remember one in particular that's a wide open area with, like, four internal rooms and, like, a cross-pattern hallway thing where it just it caused all sorts. Of, I hated that level so much, and I still do. Like, I, when I replayed it, that was my least favorite part because, again, it required me to jump out of a doorway and shoot a gun to to aggro a bunch of people and then just whack them in the, as they come through the door, which there's nothing fun about that. And that was like, that was like 80% of my strategy in Hotline Miami 2. And I just never enjoyed it. And I, I, maybe that was me like getting around the game in a way that I shouldn't have been trying to. But to me, in a lot of cases, that seemed like the only way to even complete it. Uh, like if there's a, if there's a room full of enemies with shotguns and I don't even have a, a weapon, I'm going to have to sit there and, and pull them in because there's no other way to do it. Um, and, and that, that just isn't fun at all. And, and, and not only is it not fun, it, to me it's completely against the spirit of Hotline Miami as far as the gameplay goes, which is you're supposed to be amped up. You're supposed to be moving quickly and going on a rampage. And, and in Hotline Miami 1, sometimes you would have to sit there and you'd like, if you were having, getting frustrated with a level, you'd have to sit back and you'd have to go, okay, this time I'm just going to go on a fucking spree. And a lot of times you do better when you're not trying to strategize as much when you're just going through just bashing people's heads in and that's that's the beauty of it and that doesn't and a lot of people said like like when i started complaining about hotline maybe too a lot of people were saying like that's what i needed to do but like i said there's some there's a lot of instances i'd say every single level has multiple instances where you can't just run in a room you have to pull enemies and whatnot or wait for their patrol to come around and that's just ugh. um yeah like there's definitely some of that I, I won't even pretend to deny that, but it just wasn't as much of a problem for me. Like they, for me, they felt few and far enough in between that it didn't make the the sequel worse than the first on the net. Like it still seemed better, and yeah. I th- something that was something that's kind of weird. I'm not gonna necessarily say this is bad or good, but some things uh, felt like they were included almost just for the level editor. Um, like, for the SWAT chief in one of the earlier levels, he has a unique AI where he kind of, like, hides behind cover and, like, yeah, pops yeah, yeah. out. And he ha- he's the only enemy in the game who's like that. But he was kind of like an AI that could have been used elsewhere almost and have it be kind of interesting. Like, another and sort I, of enemy, I, like the Fat Man or... But it never comes up again. But I can definitely see that getting used in like some custom levels. That that was like kind of cool, but it only happened once, and it would have been a good way to break up some of the longer hallway sections. And yeah, I, I liked that enemy too, like because it was kind of he was unique, and you kind of had. I, I think most people probably fail the first time because they keep trying to shoot him instead of actually going over and doing an execution move on him, which like. In Hot One Miami One, there's an enemy kind of like him where you shoot him with a shotgun and he falls down, but then he gets back up. And the way that you defeat him is you shoot him like three or four times and then he finally dies. But this one, you can't. I don't think you can kill him by shooting him. You have to go over and do the execution. And it was just kind of a simple little thing that that I actually enjoyed because it was different. Um, 
and that particular level too had some good stuff in it. The the my favorite level was the prison breakout. Level. I love that level. And I think I've heard that other people say the same thing. Like that level, the felt beginning like of it especially. One, it felt like because you because like most people, yeah, the beginning of it. By the last section, I was getting frustrated with that level because suddenly everyone has guns, and the guns just aren't that much fun to me. I don't I don't like that part of the game as much as just melee weapons and stuff and. Uh, at the beginning, yeah, everyone's got melee weapons, and you're just running through cell after cell and just beating people up and stuff, and that's that's great and awesome. Uh, but uh, now, I mean, so little of the game. It's kind of a tough to balance that they have to strike because, as like I agree that the melee weapons are more fun to me than the guns, but they're also very very easy. That if you're just facing enemies with melee weapons and you have a melee weapon yourself, you'll basically always succeed. Yeah, like, and that's I mean, way easier than Hotline Miami 1. The first thing I noticed about Hotline Miami 1 was I was getting killed by melee enemies way more. They kill you way faster in Hotline Miami 1 and 2. Really? Uh, yeah. Go back and play 1, and you're going to get killed by melee enemies a lot. Like, There's some kind of delay or something that they built into the, the enemies in the second one where they're way easier to kill. Uh, mm. I got killed way more in 1. Uh when I went back and played through it, I was I was shocked because uh, I, I it just didn't feel like there was that big of a difference. But trust me, there is. Um, yeah, that's strange. Then I'll have to go back and play that. Um, yeah, I, the one last thing I want to mention is that uh, there was a comparison that Walker made. Uh, Walker's a guy and friends with friends with Mike. He hangs out in the mumble. Uh, he uh, I was telling him about just like what I wanted from Hotline Miami and how it for some reason the second one wasn't living up to that and he brought up the comparison to fear and i, I forgot you've played fear right i played some of the first ones so i'm not already yeah. uh it fear gives you this feeling of like it'll give you a room full of enemies and you've got the slow-mo ability you've got the bullet time thing where you can run in and you can go into slow motion and you can still move relatively fast and everything and you can just fuck shit up and it, it in reality, it takes like 15 seconds, but then in, in in game, the idea is that it takes like five seconds for you to just run in there and kill everyone, and everyone's like surprised suddenly that you're there and just blowing shit up. And it's really satisfying. It's not necessarily challenging. In some cases, it is, but it ends. You've killed everyone in the room, and the lights are flickering, and there's dust like settling and everything, and it's super satisfying, and it's the same thing. It's the kind of feeling that you get when you complete a level in Hotline Miami 1, and the music shuts off, you know, and you suddenly notice that the the, the floor is just scattered with bodies and blood and everything, and you're like, holy shit, I, I, I killed a lot of people. Um, it, Hotline Miami 2 never did that for me. I never, like, got through a level, and I was like, whew, you know, like, breathing hard. Like, that never really? happened. It, it, I, never. I felt so much more relief after finishing levels in the second one. I felt relief, but it was the kind of relief like I'm glad that's over rather than like that was awesome, you know? For me it was the opposite. Like for me it was absolutely just the ad- the adrenaline kind of I mean it it is a harder game that even the levels that aren't that don't make design mistakes, they still are far more difficult. Yeah. I don't know. I I, I did still enjoy Hotline Miami 2, but I was disappointed by it, I guess, or surprised by how little I <laughs> ended up enjoying it all the way through. I, I would still recommend it to people, you know, but, like, I don't know. I, my opinion of that thing changed drastically about halfway through, and uh, and I just, I, I, I was surprised. Um, I did really like that last level, though. I, I think everyone did. That, oh, do you mean the... Like, no, we did the Bob Boss. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, well, I actually, I don't want to spoil it too much, but come the final fight, you have to hit something with an axe. And that pissed me off a lot. That was my least favorite moment in the entire game. And I know it didn't exactly have to do with about. the way it was designed or like the scenario itself. But basically, you have to chop the enemy with an axe. And I, I kind of assumed that that's what I had to do. And so it put the thing out that I was supposed to hit. I swung it, and my axe went right through it. And so I thought, okay, so that's not what I meant to do. Let me try something else. And I tried everything. I tried getting close to it, and I would just die immediately because it shoots a million things at you. Yep. And I was stuck on that for so long, and I had to look it up. Really? Yeah, and I found out that the hitboxes on the axe sometimes just don't work. And that I really did just have to try hitting the thing again. Yeah, that I had, I had, I had serious lot. issues with that boss too. I didn't have to look it up because I but... did it fucking right. I I like didn't try it just once too. I like multiple times. The hitbox did not connect with the thing I was meant to hit. That was like the only moment that really left me like. The only reason that stood out to me, like, I had a little bit of trouble, probably for the same reason you did. Although I never figured it out, um, but I. The only thing that the reason that the only reason that stood out was because every time you failed, it would restart and it would go. Like, yeah, you'd have really to sit through that segment again going, and oh, again. Oh god! And I wanted to just take my headphones off just because, like, it was like, god damn it. <laughs> yeah, and and, but... and 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 the first one had a lot of that too, where like a boss fight that's kind of hard to figure out, and like I almost like playing back through the first one, the fight with the biker, I almost quit and had to look it up. Until I realized, no, wait, what, sh- what I should be doing is just waiting. But, like, you have to wait a certain amount of time with the biker for him to, to do a move that, that finally allows you to hit him. There's just no other way to complete it. And like, I thought I was doing something wrong. I just through, wasn't through waiting a couple Through a couple cycles of trial and error with the biker, like, I figured that out. But this was just literally an example of it being broken. Yeah. Like, it was so upsetting, too, because that was, like, the ending of the game. And and that would have been so great to just kind of do on the first pass or third pass and or whatever. I think that's part of the reason that the doors and stuff piss me off so much is because there's so many times where I would like be at the I'd finally be at the end of a level and that I'd been having a lot of trouble with and some bullshit thing would get me killed, like a door opening in a weird way, or an enemy patrolling in a weird way, or shooting through like God, I hate it when like the the glass there's a lot of glass in Hotline Mammy 2. Yeah. And sometimes it would line up just perfectly where they just shoot you like across two rooms and kill you. And it's just like, how the fuck am I supposed to know that that they've patrolled in such a way off screen where the where the panes of glass have lined? I was like, what the fuck? That's just bullshit. Uh, so that that stuff pisses me off. And and uh, yeah, there's one a lot of the of most that. cathartic things though is to go back to the Hawaii missions with the flamethrower because that makes those levels so easy. <laughs> and yeah. you could just blow through them, like, it, basically in kind of Hotline Miami 1 pace. Yeah. Just kind of effortlessly killing everything and getting ridiculous combos. So it it does give you a kind of uh, catharsis after struggling for so long. Or, you know, sneaking around. Yeah. Kind of Metal Gear Solid slash Rambo style. A weird mixture of the two. You get to just fuck it and 
you know, go. And you mentioned sense. too, you mentioned in the last podcast that there was a level where you were sneaking around and stuff and you didn't enjoy it very much. And that's how I felt. That about, was level 14. That's what I was talking yeah. about. And that's how I felt about most of the second half of the game was not that I was necessarily, well, I was sneaking around a lot. I was like waiting around corners and trying to pull one enemy at a time. And it, it was just like, I didn't realize until about halfway through the game that like, why am I doing this? This doesn't seem like I, what I should be doing with Hotline Miami 2. But now I'm starting to feel like a broken record. We, we're probably, we've probably said all there is to say about, about that subject. Yeah. Yeah, I'm about ready to move on. Do you have anything else to say about Hotline Miami 2? No, no, not right now. Uh, okay. So let's talk about Nintendo. Nintendo's been up to some stuff. Apparently. So... I guess we should talk about the smartphone thing first. They are collaborating with some other developer, and do you remember the name off the top of your head? Or I can no, not at all. I haven't even read that much about the it. The name doesn't really matter, but the point is that they're going to be releasing games on... Uh, sorry, it's called Denna. Denna is the name of the company. They're going to be releasing Nintendo games, like Nintendo intellectual properties, like Mario and Zelda on mobile platforms which if you'll remember they've said in the past that they would never ever do that nintendo games will only be on nintendo platforms period well not anymore i mean it's just it it is too lucrative to ignore for them at this point yeah it's they're gonna fucking suck i think everybody knows they're gonna suck so long as their core market games stay profitable which they are now and they probably will continue to be there's really not much to worry about but i mean i just hope that they they don't consider their their core to be a a waste like the opportunity cost to be too high yeah and i honestly like uh, out of all the weird shit that nintendo does that i don't really like from a business perspective the fact that they refused to do mobile games uh, was actually something that I found kind of interesting and maybe even a good idea on their part because the whole idea is that their their 3DS is such a, a lucrative console. Like so many people are buying those things and and buying like the new versions that come out and everything. Um, and the and part of the reason people are buying them is because well, first of all, they're they're cheap, but also they've got a lot of really, really good games on there that you can only get on, like, there's just no other option. You have to get them on the 3DS. And so what I'll be interested to see with with this is whether they're planning on, like, porting stuff over to smartphones. Are they going to be doing, like... Because what I would do if I were them is I would port older Nintendo titles over to the smartphone, you know, like Mario and all that stuff, like really classic games. And and, because I think that there's a pretty big market for people who just want to play a Mario game on their damn iPhone. Um... Uh, yeah, I would like I to see them think... do that with like games that aren't don't require like position, you know, controls. Something like Fire oh, yeah. Emblem, turn-based Pokemon. Do you know how many people would buy fucking Pokemon yeah. on there? But then again, that would cut into their mobile platform sales. But then again, they already sold enough of their units. Maybe they don't have many more yeah. to sell. To... But uh, somebody pointed out that I pronounced it wrong. They style it like capital D, lowercase e. Capital N, capital A. Yeah. I said Dana. It's DNA. Whatever. Whatever. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I. Okay. Someone said they said they won't be porting. I'll take your word for it because I don't think it would make much sense to, to. At least if, if if you if you mean they won't be porting games that they're making now for for like current 3ds games, 
because that I I don't I would not let's see specifically said not new uh, said new games but possibly possibly with their existing IPs. So I think maybe they they will be porting over old games but not the newer ones, which I would is what I would do if I were them because you say that they've sold the 3ds's, but I I imagine that the 3ds's are still selling quite quickly. Uh, oh no, it, I don't actually think that. I was just like yeah, you know, trying to hypothesize. Yeah. Um, uh, that or what they're doing is they're just they've got a developer who's going to be making Nintendo smartphone games that have nothing to do with existing games. Maybe they use like some like a, the the name Mario, but it doesn't have any relation to a game that's currently out or whatever. Which whatever. I don't think that I doubt. I think they'd have to have some trouble actually like selling those games. I, I don't know if people would be super interested in them because they would feel. Uh, and this is another thing that I think Nintendo starts tries to stay away from. They would feel like uh, B titles, you know, like oh, these are just our smartphone titles that we're throwing out for uh, with a cheap budget and a but then second again, developer. They have been doing quite a bit of that lately. Like, have you seen the uh, the Mario and Pokemon puzzle quests? I I don't know if they. I know they have a Mario puzzle quest. It's like this weird RP not RPG but like board game. RPG-ish spinoff. It's weird. Like it, it doesn't seem to fit at all. Like it, it's yeah. pretty clearly just using Mario to sell the game. And I've been hearing of more and more uh, Nintendo games coming out for like the Wii U and stuff that are just not really like they'll be like forty dollars games that like aren't even really worth forty dollars, but they're just throwing them out there and they seem like they're kind of cheaply made. I, I, I just I don't like what they're doing there. That because like the part of the appeal of Nintendo is that everything that they put out is supposed to be great. And uh, and I feel like they they are moving in a direction that might hurt that image and and hurt them in the long run. But uh, okay, we'll see. so according to Kotaku, it will be new games, not not existing games. Okay. Which well. you know, I'm not too. Even though I kind of would like to be able to play something like Fire Emblem on my phone, like it's kind of this good move on their part to kind of keep a wall of separation between their actual games and their mobile games. Yeah. I, I would like I would hate to see some mobile shit start bleeding into um, my Wii U games. Well like the way it does now with this is maybe not the fairest comparison, but like I see it every day on Steam, the new releases are full of games that were made clearly for the iPhone and shit and they just made a PC version because it's easy to make a PC version and it's going to be shit to play because it's a mobile like uh, Sid Meier's Starships that is a mobile game and it's like it came out on Steam recently and there was a lot of hype around it because it's like oh a Sid Meier's game that's hopefully kind of like the new Civ but better or something and it's just a dumbed down Civ uh, whatever that latest Civ was called it's just a dumbed down version for mobile but they put it on PC and act like they don't act like it's a mobile game, but then you like look at it and it's very obviously a mobile game. Um, I, I hate that shit, and I hope I know that Nintendo won't go that far of just like here's our mobile version of our game made on a yeah. 3DS and sold for forty dollars. That would that would be terrible. And from my experience, like emulating Nintendo games on my phone before, unless it's like a, a turn-based game, it's terrible. I mean, to try to control. A platformer with, uh, you know, a touch screen is an exercise in misery. Yeah. So it's kind of good that they're they're gonna be making ones that are built from the ground up for mobile platforms. I'm probably not gonna be too interested in them, and I imagine 
you won't and most others won't yeah either. <laughs> when but, the xbox one came out uh they were selling flappy bird no not five angry birds star wars oh god for sixty dollars yep. on the downloadable marketplace Dear God, I, that just, I was just reminded of that and, and horrified at the memory. Um, but you know what's good? I haven't heard anyone talk about Angry Birds in like oh, two yeah. years. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like not a thing now. anymore. Isn't that yeah. great? That is, that is nice, but it's whatever. <laughs> uh, anyway, Nintendo's stock jumped like 30% after this announcement, which I think is a gross over... Uh, overreaction to what probably isn't going to be a huge moneymaker for them but maybe it also has to do with their other announcement uh which i'll let you do because i know nothing about it there's not much to say yet but uh basically they've announced new hardware and uh i don't we don't know that it's a new console yet um all we know is that they have a clear idea of what it will be, that it will be new hardware, and that it's not related to their any other like fitness, you know, we fit kind of that old vitality sensor yeah. that they scrapped. It's not related to any of that stuff. And that they want to have a unified operating system across their multiple gaming platforms. Which, if you have a 3DS and a Wii U, or if you at least seen both of their interfaces, you'll know that they both their their um, UIs are pretty similar. So, if I had to venture a guess, if I was a betting man, I'd say that this is somehow going to be outside the Wii U 3DS ecosystem, or well, not outside of it, but it's not going to be like the next version of either of those. I think it will be a Wii U without the controller. Hmm. That would be a weird move, maybe. But I think the controller is an extremely expensive part of that console. And so I think what they might do... I mean, I'd say that it's very simplified. They wouldn't call it the Wii U or anything. But I think it would play Wii U games and wouldn't come with the controller so it would be vastly cheaper and then maybe they would port 3ds games onto it as well or something i don't really know that that would be kind of weird but well, uh, something along those lines i mean you do you do have to get the the controller does come bundled with the console but it does like a wii u without a controller it doesn't seem like a reason to have like a new code name for new hardware yeah like they said it's new hardware which suggests to me something more different. But that might just be marketing. Like, they want it to look like it's a new thing, even though basically, like, as far as the internal components of it, it's just a Wii U. Uh, That maybe it... I mean, maybe it'll come out with... Maybe it'll even have exclusive games or something, but I'm sure it'll in some way incorporate more than what the Wii U currently does. Uh, And then you... (laughs) Maybe it'll come with a new controller of some sort that's cheaper, more simple. I just feel like the Wii U controller, I think that they see that. I see it as a mistake. I, I, I think that they're spending too much money. It, it, it takes too much money to make the console. The console is more expensive than people are really willing to pay, even though it's still pretty cheap. Like It could be much cheaper, and it, most of their games don't utilize it in a, in a significant way. And we've had this conversation before, so we won't. I, I don't want to go over it all over again. But I, I think that maybe that's kind of the perspective they're coming from, where they want to give an option for people. It's going to be a cheap console, 
that will play a lot of games and and you don't have to pay a lot of money to, to get it and it doesn't come with that controller that a lot of people probably see as being very gimmicky and that was just marketed wrong from the beginning obviously where people don't know that that's its own console so maybe they're also trying to pick up the wider demographic of people who think the wii u is still just a wii <laughs> um accessory you know and so they're coming out with a console that doesn't have wii in the name so that people will think oh it's something completely new it's Okay, I just found this, um, huh. I just found this, uh, new article with some quotes from Satoru Iwata, the CEO of Nintendo. He says, Nintendo, together with DNA, will jointly develop a new membership service which encompasses the existing Nintendo 3DS and Wii U systems, the new hardware system with a brand new concept, NX, and smart devices and PCs. And Nintendo will be the primary party to operate this new membership service. Weird. I think what that means is probably that so, they're trying to. So lots to take in. I think that I think I think that's just a step in the direction of saying you own your games forever in a digital form, so that when a new console comes out, when Some a new 3DS comes out, or whatever, maybe. it's very easy to exactly. It's very easy to keep track of what games you have and download them and, and manage them and everything. Uh, that's probably what that is, I would assume, and maybe it's some sort of subscription service as well, like P PS in or whatever and stuff like that. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I I'm pretty convinced that it's not going to be like a new console. It's going to be a console that is mostly old. <laughs> I, we'll see. It's too soon for a new console. A completely new, like cook up to your TV and play console. Hmm. Well, hold on. When did the Wii, the Wii U came out in 2013? Came out one year before the one in the four PS4. So like late 2012. Yes, I think so. Holidays 2012. If I, I like I I kind of understand where you're coming from, where you say that it's too early for a new console, but you have to keep in mind that. The other consoles haven't been financial failures. <laughs> like, no, not at all. I, I and and, it, but they don't need to upgrade the hardware. They don't need more graphical power. I don't know about that. Uh, I mean, the that's Wii U never is been only barely above like last gen systems. Yeah, but they don't really like with with most of the games they make. They don't need the graphical prowess. They don't they don't need that for Mario and shit like that. Like. I, I mean, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe they want to make no more idea. high definition, like a Zelda, like that new Zelda that coming out. That's coming out looks like it'll, it'll probably be pushing the limits of the capabilities of the hardware. But I think it'll depend on like when they actually wind up sharing more information, because they said that they're not going to share. They don't have anything to share until next year. Yeah, and if they're just barely starting to tell us things next year i don't i don't know because it's like just at the the point in time where i don't i don't really know whether it would all be right so new here's the new similar concept it's it's a more powerful console that plays wii u games and maybe even wii games and maybe even some of their mobile titles uh but it's more powerful so that they can make games New games for it that that, Actually, that can't yeah, be that wouldn't, used on the Wii. That wouldn't be unprecedented because they do have the the new 3DS XL. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I, don't, I, I have no idea. 
yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, I, I you're I, you're right. I, it's been a little longer than I realized. It's been almost three years, I guess, now that the Wii U's been out. And if it they're not even like announcing, because it has night games yeah. or something. And if they're not even announcing information till next year, that might mean. I don't know. That still would probably mean it's like yeah, late it 2016. Yeah, it feels like right on the cusp where you can't yeah. tell. But I do. Th- I would not be surprised to see an entirely new hardware that's that's even better than the, or even better than the Wii U, as if that's possible. Um, <laughs> but that's like. But I think that they are. I think that they realize they made a mistake with the marketing and everything of the Wii U, and that they can. They're probably going to try quickly to gain back an audience that they had with the Wii, um, with with something that is very clearly something new rather than yeah. something that looks like an accessory or or a, or a small step up. Uh, yeah, I, I I if it is an entirely new console, then I would probably be interested, especially if from what they're implying, it sounds like this would be the case, especially if it's backwards compatible with old Wii and Wii U games that I never really got a chance to check out. Which would be that would be. Amazing, awesome. and yeah, be thankfully fantastic. they seem to be like the only company around that actually gives a shit about full backwards compatibility. And they ought to because they are yeah. so historically like like they're bound to their own history. Like they they can't yeah, they can't absolutely. move past that at all. So they they kind of have to be to be fair. But but it is good that they are that way. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Moving on, so Valve has added a disclosure policy to the Steam community, and this applies to every Steam user. And uh, the quote from Valve, it's in the the new Steam subscriber agreement, it's, if you use Steam services, e.g. the Steam curators lists or the Steam broadcasting service to promote or endorse a product, service, or event in return for any kind of consideration from a third party, including non-monetary rewards such as free games, you must clearly indicate the source of such consideration to your audience. Uh, that's good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Not, <laughs> it's, yeah no, there's like, not a whole lot to say about it. Not much to say about it, but it's kind I'm, of interesting to see... I mean, there's no question that this is, uh, I wouldn't say caused by Gamergate or anything, but it's it's a very new kind of pressure that wasn't prob- around. Yeah, it probably recently. wouldn't have happened if not for Gamergate, not to give Gamergate all the credit, because, yeah. well, frankly, all the credit goes to the journalists that <laughs> that, that, that got it to this point. But uh, it... it um, <laughs> it, it sheds light on something that I've heard a lot about, which is and that's happening a ton on YouTube, but it's, it started very quickly to happen on Steam, where I was hearing from a lot of even kind of mid-profile people who, like, weren't super famous or anything. Like, they, they just had a little bit of a personality, like, a little more famous than we are, you know? Like, not not really, like, crazy famous or anything. We're getting They were getting, like, messages and emails from developers saying, like, curate our game and... Uh, we will do such and such and give you such and such. And it's just like, holy shit, like this is so obviously scummy and horrible. I can't believe they're getting away with this. And then like, I think the most egregious example that I, I think most people are aware of are, is a uh, five nights at Freddy's. Have you heard about what they've done? No. Is it I, the I let's players? Yeah. I haven't read up all, on it a lot, but apparently they're just straight up paying let's players to play their game. Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know the details. Maybe it's as simple as they're just giving the Let's Players the game, but from the way people describe it, it's like really messed up. Uh, you know, I think I've heard 
not much about that, but that seems familiar. And normally I wouldn't care because Let's Plays are primarily entertainment. And, you know, in entertainment, there's all kinds of that stuff going on, you know, like product placement. Like sure. that is just ubiquitous to entertainment. But with games, like there's a very clear, you know, not sorry. There's a very blurred line between entertainers and critics and critics yeah. should be held to different standards than pure entertainers are like entertainers like nerd cubed on steam that fucking prick but I, i'm not gonna rant about him right now um <laughs> and he recently pulled all his curation off steam but whatever um he's basically just a less player but he you know maintained a curation page and everything and there are all kinds of different youtubers that do this too who are primarily entertainers but they also curate content and you know express opinions about it and if steam steam has always been you know whispering those sweet nothings of we want to democratize the content publishing process and we want to make this very open and not top down and we want to support a community driven publishing experience if that's the case, then they basically had to do something like this. They had to somehow assure people who use their service that there's some kind of integrity to it. And that's not just like, that's not a moral issue. That's something Valve has to do. They have to convince people of the integrity of their service for people to trust in it and continue to use it and buy into curation as a concept on the service. Yeah. So it makes sense. And 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 as far as the Five Nights at Freddy's things go, like I don't think that ethically it's much of a problem because yeah, for the most part they were just let's players who they just scream at the game, you know. Like, they're not saying like you need to buy this game; it's awesome, and here's why. Like they're not going as far as a review, but just in general, like really like paying someone to give publicity to your game, but not be clear that that's what they're being paid to do is always just kind of like it rubs me the wrong way like it, it, it's it's it, it's dishonest in a way and it's it's also like yeah uh, and if you're a fan of someone and they're being paid to give content to you by the people that are like it's just weird i i, I don't like it and i don't i don't like that style of advertising like if it's an advertisement make it look like an advertisement you know don't don't disguise it as something it isn't I, like I get, it's, a lot of it has to do with like the origins of these new forms of media. Oh yeah. That you know, in old media on TV, if a guest shows up on Conan or something, you kind of you know there's an understanding that they're there to promote their movie or whatever the hell they're doing. Yeah. And it's basically just you know space for them to entertain you and and pimp their their stuff, and you know that's part of the the unstated contract of that medium yeah with with youtube and and stuff it's always sort of been more intimate like there it's never if you in the early days of whatever pewdiepie or gape grumps or uh whoever it was kind of just you know people having fun and why don't you come join us and watch and for the most part that was true like when they started out there was no way that they were you know getting checks from people to play their games because they were relatively unknown and so i guess game rooms is a little different because ego raptor has always sort of been an unknown quantity but you know for for lots of these let's players it's only been recent recently that they've been able to to get paid to do things like this so it kind of it, it, it like 
it's a change in that 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 standing contract between the viewer and the creator. Yeah. And and it's also interesting just the whole the way that the YouTube environment has changed because YouTube's been around for long enough now that people are getting famous who created a YouTube account with the sole purpose of making money off of it and making it more popular. When originally, I'd say most people who had the fame had it fall into their lap. Uh, they were they were creating something that a lot of people enjoyed and it went viral. Um, that still happens. I know I know several people who that's happened to and they've started making money off of something that they never imagined they would make money off of. But you, there's just a lot of <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with wanting to make money by providing like entertainment or anything, but it gets to the point where it's just like it's just from a just from my perspective when I see these let's players who every YouTube thumbnail is the same thing where it shows like a funny still shot from the gameplay badly photoshopped and then their face and it's like god fucking damn it just like how first of all it pisses me off that it works ah! that, you, that you can look at these videos and see that they have hundreds of thousands of views and you've never heard of them before and you're in that sphere of influence but they're just there's an audience for these people that that is out there and that scares me um i mean they're basically 13 year olds yeah and uh, but they're making uh, but also the fact that they're just so shamelessly copying a formula that's been done over and over and over and that i mean the same thing pisses me off when i see it on tv you know reality shows that are just like a very small twist on a formula that's been proven to work and for some reason people eat it up and that drives me crazy and it's more of a it's more of an existential uh grief <laughs> about the state of our uh, of our world or 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 how the world has always been probably but uh uh, rather than just hating the people who are actually creating the content because who can blame them really but like god damn it you know say what you will about PewDiePie but at least he was the first to really get famous yeah. doing it <laughs> Markiplier know? to me is like the let's player that aggravates me the most and he's not even well he's horribly annoying but there are ones that are more like intrinsically annoying but I don't think there's been that cynically close a copy of PewDiePie's formula so far. I think they even use the exact same font when they make their funny yeah. montages of uh, screaming at jump scares. Like, I mean, but it, it works. It, it basically is. Like, you had the Jersey Shore, and then you had, you know, a million copies of it. And then you had, yeah. Like, and it's, it is like reality TV. That's a great comparison. Yeah, and, and and it's another. It's like reality TV on a whole other level too, because they're acting like their reactions are genuine when you know they aren't, and they're just not yeah. the way that they're making themselves look. And PewDiePie, at least, again, like I defend PewDiePie a lot because I think less so now than maybe a year or two ago. But he used to get a lot of shit just constantly from people who just hated his fucking guts. And it was it was mostly just, I think part of it was envy, and part of it was just hatred of his fan base, which is totally justified. But that's not him, you know? That's what that's his fan base. And, and, and like, just, I, I've seen the videos that PewDiePie has made where he isn't being his character, and he seems like a legitimately cool guy who would be fun to hang out with. And he doesn't, like, it's not like he... I don't feel like he's trying to portray himself as being someone he isn't because he he does a lot of the time break that character or whatever, you know? And so, like, 
I, he feels more genuine than these people who are just, oh, they're just, ah, I hate them. What's that? Oh, oh, yeah. I, um, I, I also want a disclaimer. I don't, I don't watch PewDiePie's content. PewDiePie. I don't, I don't, I don't enjoy his stuff or anything, but I don't think, but my, my, my point is that there's no point in hating it. And I, I don't have any problem with it existing yeah. or anything. I like the, I'm, you can't blame the, what do you call it? I know there's some word for like the subject of, of lots of copycats, but it's not coming to me right now. Yeah. But you, whatever, you don't blame the original. You blame, you know, the copycats. There's no cynicism, or maybe not no cynicism, but there isn't much cynicism in what PewDiePie himself does. Yeah, and 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 I also think that that let's plays in general aren't necessarily inherently bad like um there was a metal gear solid and i wish i remember the name of the youtuber he wasn't like it was dark side phil no (laughs) although (laughs) that is entertaining um and god damn it i i would flip my shit if one day he came out and he did he if he pulled a uh jace connors one day that would be so if he just made a stream where he was like acting like even better than jace connors but it's not gonna happen like jace connors wasn't ground shattering for me because first of all I didn't know much about him to begin with. And secondly, when I looked him up, I was like, ah, he looks fake to me because I hadn't been following him. DSP is someone who <laughs> I I haven't been following him or anything, but he's been there for years now. And it's just like, he's such a, a public figure for being stupid. And, and if he came out to be a hoax, that would be incredible. I would, I, I would shit my pants. That would be awesome, but it's not going to happen because I am utterly convinced that he is real. There are some people yeah, who think it's that too, he's... Uh, it's but... too subtle and <laughs> unentertaining to... Yeah, exactly. It's not quite entertaining enough and not quite obvious enough to be to be fake. Uh, and and it would require a lot more dedication than J- the, the Jace Connors thing. Like, he, he does it for hours and hours and hours a week. Yeah. Like, he made a career out of it. A career. Uh, I think he makes all of the money he he does in his life off of doing that which is incredible um, inspiring <laughs> truly yeah yeah uh okay so uh let's move on this really isn't new news but it's the first i'm hearing of it um i was going back to check on some patreon numbers found out that jim sterling is now making over ten thousand dollars thanks jim for your service to the consumer thank you jim thank you for thanks, convincing jim. valve to uh put their thing in there th- the, that's awesome jim good God job bless you jim we uh we thank you but, from the bottom uh, of our hearts and so i naturally came upon zoe quinn's patreon and you know how i was talking about those links to her old games that just don't actually work yes. well she didn't fix them now they're just all removed <laughs> and so she clearly doesn't give a shit or even want you to see your old work because it's probably garbage and instead there's a link to something called crash override network and jesus if it's not the the most desperate attempt to stay relevant that i've seen in like the twitter internet sphere i mean obviously worse has happened in like hollywood and stuff but it's basically a uh, something called the Crash Override, the Online Anti-Harassment Task Force. By the way, it's not up yet. This launches in 151 days, 12 hours, 44 minutes, <laughs> and that, 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 18 seconds. But uh, clearly it's going to be big because there's all kinds of fancy HTML5 text animations going on. So that'll be cool. Um, 
it, it's just so pathetic. Like, if you read it, let me something about clients. They call it's their, so masturbatory. Like the way that yeah. The, the way that they act like they're saving people. Like, oh, we're here to, you know, to they help survivors heroes. and all that. And it's just like, you are so full of yourself. And, 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 uh, God damn it. I, I don't know how much. Our network includes experts in information security, white hat hacking, PR, law enforcement, legal threat monitoring, and counseling. Most, if not all, of our agents are former clients. Clients. Like, they're going to have clientele. They want it to seem really professional. Uh, now, what's weird to me is that it seems like such a weird, like, timeline. To d- I don't see her social capital, like, being relevant in she's the six months. She's already irrelevant. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, and this is just an attempt to reclaim relevance. Six months. If she wanted to launch something like this, I mean, give a timeline that even people who like you can wrap their heads around. <laughs> um, like, this Gamergate itself is not going to be nearly active enough to justify this in six months or whatever it's going to be. 151 days, I think, so, would be. So, did you discover less, this but... because you just out of nowhere looked up her Patreon yeah, I was just, just to check up on it? It's okay, not new. Because I was about yet. to say, like, I, I'd never heard of it. And that speaks to how irrelevant it is. Like, yeah. people don't even hate her enough now to spread this thing. Like, it's just something. But she's trying to convince people that yeah. people hate her enough that they have to spread this thing. But it's, it's the narrative isn't working. I mean, it's just embarrassing, actually. Like, crisis support center, ongoing assistance to victims, community outreach, just like the way they describe these things, and it's just funny because a lot of the design choices of this like placeholder website for crash override network a lot of it looks similar to the rebel game jam which is another uh upcoming coming soon project that she's running that also is just indefinitely far in the future that nobody cares about nobody is expecting anything productive to come from i don't know i mean we're we're small enough that talking about her isn't gonna give her undue attention so, yeah, I'm not too concerned. I'm not too concerned about that. It's just funny. You, you can't help but but laugh at this. It's funny and sad because I I think it's the exact like these people, and I'm not just talking about people who are social justice warriors or anything. I'm just talking about people who are perpetual. I I would say scammers. Although in a lot of cases, I don't think it's intentional on their part. And and in this case, maybe it isn't either. But people who just they come up with these ideas, they raise money for them, and they never make any money off of them. them. Or they they do make money off of them for themselves, but they can never pay back their investors, and they just move on to the next thing. And people are stupid enough or ignorant enough or naive enough to give them more money for a new project uh, that obviously isn't going to get off the ground. And this is another one where, like, they're not going to make any money off of Nobody's going to use this shit. Like, what the – it's – there's already – these resources that are and if they do if they do make any money from it if they do amass a clientele as they choose to call it then they're just going to be cannibalizing their own sphere of people like there there aren't going to be anybody outside of this incredibly insular group of i mean there is no better word really sjw's like you're only going to be getting money from your allies Basically, yeah. Um, nobody else is stupid enough to buy into it. I would call them like unskilled opportunists that they don't actually have. Uh, 
you know, skills to add value on their own or in a vacuum. They they find very lucrative waves of social thought to to latch onto and ride. Like nobody gave a shit about Zoe Quinn before she was embroiled in some revelations about game journalism um, breaches of ethics and but she was able to you know ride that to some success and Brianna Wu is the same as is Anita Sarkeesian I mean they, they find ways to you know to ride a wave to to bank and they they'll continue to do that until the wave crashes yeah and uh Again, I, I, who knows if it's really like who knows if she's a professional con artist or just a someone who looks into these cons that that aren't necessarily meant to be cons. But like, I think that she is going to keep herself afloat for perhaps her entire life by doing stuff like this, where it's just like, here's my next great idea, and people go. I think she'll have oh, enough. You're... She'll have enough of an established like. Well, there's base so much pity, and there's so can... much. She'll be able to tread water forever. She'll be able to live a middling yeah. existence as long as she wants. Yeah, um, off of the off of the pity of others or the the people who really want to consider themselves as people who are uh, doing good for society, whether that's self-serving or not. Uh, <laughs> she's giving them a medium through which to just pour money into and think that they're doing something good, and then just nothing happens and they forget about it. Uh, like what will happen with Star Citizen? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's whatever. Yeah, and 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 it's funny too. I I I've said this before countless times, so I won't delve into it again. But she is now officially a competitor to like Brianna Wu, who I know is planning to do some sort of legal thing where like we're providing legal resources to people who uh have harassers and stuff like that you know i, I know that brianna Wu has something like that quote unquote in the works but um of course that they would be that they are now they are competitors and you, I, they've already been competitors for people's donations and, and fame and pity and so they like you you notice that these high profile people never mention each other and nita brianna lee alexander Zoe Quinn, the 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 well, Anita holy powerful Anita does, does because she like she got like most of her donations in a lump sum, and then she continues to make money off of speaking fees. So she's not like in direct competition for the same sorts of resources that Zoe and Brianna are. Brianna and Zoe, on the other hand, at first they were pretty friendly. They don't really talk about or to each other basically at all anymore because the competition is as ratcheted up between them. It's, I mean, it's basic economic competition. Yeah. They don't want to drive the pity traffic to the other. Yeah. It's, it's, it's incredible to watch. It really is. Yeah. So let's move to something silly. Uh, well, not that that wasn't silly, but let's move to something funny, at least. So I saw this commercial for like this VR thing that Samsung is making called Samsung Life Live. And Terrible it's like name. A, it's yeah, it's just it's not a good name. And it's this, it's basically just like a VR headset and like a um, omnidirectional camera. And so you can put the omnidirectional camera in one place 
and then you can kind of be there via VR. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's pretty cool. Like they show you how it works, and it looks kind of cool. But the commercial that they do it, it's like a woman, an actually pregnant woman, and uh, like the father can't be there at the birth, and so they like film it. Like they have the the Samsung Life Live thing there, and then the father's elsewhere looking at it through the VR. But like you can tell, and you see the other children that they have later. This isn't the first baby they've had. So the reaction of the father, once she actually gives birth to the kid, is just fucking hilarious. <laughs> like it's so, just Australian. It's an Australian commercial. It's just like, <laughs> all right, yeah. It's like not at all what you would think one of these inspirational sort of commercials to be. It's it's really funny. Um, yeah, he's like, yeah, looks like his mum. Yeah, looks strong, healthy boy there. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, great. it's all right. Yeah, I mean that's, that's basically cool idea, the tone though. that it took. I do like that idea. That's neat. Um, I think it's pretty gimmicky, but. <laughs> They're trying to like whenever you see these like gimmicky things, they always try to like place them in a context of being something useful, and it's always bullshit. Like Microsoft's VR thing, where you can like it detects the room around you, and you can like like they were when they were showing that it was like here's a 3D model that someone's making of like a motorcycle or something like that, and and he's using this VR headset to do it. You just know that that that's not going to be a practical yeah. way to do it, and and. uh and it's the same thing here. Like nobody's going to use this for like I, I can't see that happening. But but it it, it would be neat. Uh, that's about as far as as far as it goes. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's all we got on the dock. Um, I've still got a little bit of work to do, but we can probably field some questions. Oh well, yeah. Let's field questions. I do. I do have one more thing yeah. on the dock um, that you probably don't know what is. Um, but yeah, ramp up those questions, chat. Um, but uh, Elder Scrolls Online has gone f- free to play. Oh um, yeah, yeah, officially now. Huge surprise! Huge surprise! Nobody saw it yeah. coming. Um, they've they've and I renamed think this is it. Exactly the timeline. Like they stopped yeah. accepting three month subscriptions three months ago, and now it's free to play. It's yeah. exactly this. Uh, they they had it planned out, um, and they've changed the name to Tamriel Unlimited. And it's near Tamriel the top. Unlimited. Yes, and it's near the top of the top sellers list on Steam, and it is a full sixty dollars. Uh, I, I, whatever. Power marketing, I guess. I mean, yeah, uh, I, guess I. People weren't buying for Elder Scrolls Online. As well it's it's else. it's interesting that it's on the top of the Steam bestsellers though, because like, I I I I feel like maybe. It's a lot of people who think that it's something new, even though it isn't. Or maybe it's just people who see that they don't have to have a subscription anymore, and so they're they're uh, they're buying it now. But like free to play is a little bit misleading because it's really just a, now it's just a game that you buy. It is a sixty dollar game, um, and I imagine if they haven't already, which I haven't heard anything yet, but I haven't read it very deeply about it. Uh, that you will start seeing some items pop up on their marketplace and then maybe some cosmetic stuff and whatnot. And uh, it's going to get pretty silly. And there will be a very small amount of people who will keep playing that game because they will convince themselves that it's good and they will invest money into buying items and shit. Whatever. Good yeah. I mean, I, I've, 
I've never actually bought Guild Wars, but one of the most attractive things about Guild Wars to me, and I've been gotten close to buying it, was that I, not having to pay a subscription, but it also not being free-to-play. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't give a shit about Elder Scrolls Online or Tamriel Unlimited it's bad. now. But, yeah, I, I, I respect the model a little bit. It's the, the best I can say. It's Yeah, I mean, it's really... Uh... It's really scummy. We all saw it coming. I, it's just so like, it's like bleed the subscriptions out of the people that we can, and then release it again, basically, and and get a whole whole new amount of money for not really doing anything. But hey, it works. People are stupid enough to buy into it. Whatever. Fuck it. Yeah. Uh, I, there's been a lot of requests in the chat ever since that you mentioned Nerd Cubed to, <laughs> for for you to actually rant about Nerd Cubed, and I I wouldn't mind hearing. Okay, I, I don't know so... anything about Nerd Cubed. Nerd Cubed is basically like a let's player. He's like a let's play. He's the Icarus of let's players. He's flying too close to the sun, rising above his station, and somebody needs to go Gustavo Fring on his ass and slit his throat. Uh, because, <laughs> because he, like, now that he has this platform of 12-year-old children watching his shitty let's plays, he just fucking loves to pontificate about game design and just industry events on Twitter and like I get it he's got the platform he can do it but he's just such a shithead and he's so full of himself I can't stand the guy can't stand him and I could talk about him for a long time but I don't really want to like it's not I don't know he's an unpleasant figure to me just imagine if Total Biscuit was twice as stupid appealed to an audience twice as young and talk twice <laughs> as much. And then you fucking have nerd cubed. Alright. Cool. <laughs> and wasn't British. There you go. Yeah, it always helps to have a British accent when you're trying to sound smart. Uh, hmm. No, he's not like extra credits. Extra, cre- extra credits is worse. Uh, which, by the way, I tweeted this earlier, but... <laughs> I. I, I was working all day and going to classes all day, so at probably 10 in the morning, I had watched one YouTube video, and it was left on autoplay. It was like a about Half-Life 2's game design, and uh, like an analysis of it. I get back like at 6 p.m. or whatever, and it's just been playing hours and hours of extra credits videos. Like, And I looked at my history, and there must have been like 50 extra credits videos. <laughs> And I was pissed. Like, Jesus, I gave them so many views today. It's a <laughs> drop in the bucket, but they didn't have to come from me. Yeah. Boy, boy, oh boy. Um, <laughs> uh, someone mentioned uh, that, uh, uh, what's it called? Elite Dangerous got an update recently about co like that allows co-op playing more easily or whatever. I haven't touched Elite Dangerous since I last talked about it, probably, which has been a few weeks at least, several weeks. Um, I probably will touch that game again when it has a major update, but I never played it co-op. I never really wanted to play it co-op. Like, I never, it never really appealed to me. Like, playing that with friends just didn't really seem like that great of an idea. Um, maybe it is, but I don't know. I, I, I will play that again if they update it in a major way, which they probably will. So, But I, I, I got some good gameplay out of it. I might pick it up again sooner than that but I, I still really like that game it, it provided a an experience that no other game has um 
But for now, my space stuff is being fulfilled by Kerbal Space Program, which that is an awesome game. I I, I like it a lot. <laughs> yeah, my brother really likes that game. I don't know if he still plays it, but he probably it's, wants it's, to talk about space. It's Kerbal Space Program. I know he tried to get me into that game, but I never I really. I don't know if you like it. it. Yeah, you kind of have to be into like either really into physics or astronomy or just learning things like it, it teaches you a lot um it, it doesn't necessarily act like it's teaching you something which is kind of neat it, it it lets you learn through experience but like it teaches you how uh gravitational physics and stuff like that works uh it's not it's not a perfect simulation but it's a good simulation um of of rocketry and 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 orbiting and all that stuff uh figuring out just like okay so these, this is on a very basic level yeah. how they made it to the moon in 1968 or whatever like that's that's the way they did it uh you know that they, they would plan out these these charts and they knew the gravitational pulls and everything and they would say all right at this point in your path you need to burn in this direction for this many seconds like it has all that stuff where it's like turn on the boosters for seven seconds and then turn them off and your 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 path has changed drastically even though you've only really pushed yourself a little bit just because you're in like you're in such a swinging motion or whatever through space it's i i love that stuff i've always been interested in that stuff and i should have bought ksp sooner uh one because the, it's it's right up my alley one of the dumbest videos i ever made was uh a, it was back in the early brutal compounder days uh the dark times in summer of 2013 uh, it was basically just me playing Kerbal Space Program, giving it a six, and then taking some autism pills and then giving it a ten. And that was just uh, poking <laughs> fun at Jack, uh, my brother, because he would play it a lot. And he had like a really, he knew a lot about that game. And I, I just kind of teased him like, oh, that's autistic. But it was actually kind of impressive how complex yeah, some it of, is. Autistic. Got. It is very autistic, and <laughs> and I I don't consider myself much of an autist, but games like that appeal to my more autistic side. And I know that we're <laughs> using autistic in a terrible, yeah, yeah. unrealistic way. Everybody, we know everybody that. here probably but knows you, exactly. You know what, what we mean, mean. exactly. Yeah. I I just I always get that shit. Like I'll say something on Twitter using like um actually autism yeah uh, refers to social not accepting social cues and uh. uh <laughs> it's just like shut the fuck up you know what you mean um but yeah i stuff like that just tickles that funny bone for me and and another game that i really want to get and i'll probably get pretty soon is city skyline you heard of that one um yeah i saw you tweeting about it <laughs> yeah it's it is sim city it is the new sim city i mean just like you look at a screenshot of the two of those games and you will not be able to tell the difference they are the same game uh, I mean, after completely the different disaster developers. that was the new SimCity launch, it was begging, begging for a competitor. So. Yeah, and, and so, like, right after Maxis gets shut down, this game comes out that's just like, here's SimCity without all the bullshit. And it's been on the top, I think it's still on the very top of the Sims bestsellers. It's cool. $40 or $30, so it's not a full-price game, which is nice. And, and But it seems like a full-price product, like, it, from what I've seen of it. And I, 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 I really want to try it out. I, I don't want to get my expectations too high because I'm sure it's full of, like, little glitches and stuff but like whatever uh but it's moddable it's fully moddable um there's there's none of that bullshit that SimCity had and the the thing that made me want to play the game ironically is something that i saw people complaining a lot about which is that it requires a huge amount of attention paid to traffic flow <laughs> um 
like you need to build your streets in a certain way to achieve the maximum oh efficiency of uh, exactly that I, that's makes... what i fucking like i'm in a i'm taking a class right now called economic problems of cities it's <laughs> so, so like urban planning for maximum efficiency is like the the doldrums of my everyday yeah. education like jesus no for, for some reason that just sounds like exactly the kind of thing i could sink six hours into like on a sunday afternoon just like how can i make this highway more efficient and like uh, oh my I, god I, yeah that's that so i'm looking forward to that <laughs> so, have fun um yeah because like like kerbal space program like god damn i think i paid that played that for six or seven hours straight this weekend which i don't do that with video games anymore like that doesn't happen and that like i just like looked at the clock and i was like holy fucking shit i've been playing this forever because it's just like you set yourself like a goal that seems very attainable but then you realize how much shit goes into it but it's not like an overwhelming realization it's like awesome now i've got to do this and i gotta do this and it's all interesting and you're learning like every time you launch a rocket and it fails you're like okay so i gotta change this and then and then like when you get a little bit higher or you get a little bit closer to your goal that's so satisfying to, to break your own little limits and 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 it's kind of that same satisfaction i've been talking about with like other sim games but in a different way because like like learning to fly a helicopter in a simulator is yeah. satisfying because you're learning this skill and you're learning the feel of it and everything this one's far more of a knowledge thing where it's like okay now i know that that this reacts in this way when i do it like this and uh but it's the same kind of satisfaction of just like bit by bit you're, you feel yourself becoming more competent at, at at getting to your goal and then and then when you finally get there it's like so satisfying like you've landed on the moon and it feels like such a a hard thing to do and it is a hard thing to do so it's so satisfying when you actually do it and the game doesn't do anything to like like there's no achievements or anything that pop up when you land on the moon. It's just like, all right, you're on the moon, and then you can like get out of your spaceship and plant a flag if you want to, if you brought one along. But like, yeah, it, it's if I, you can I like afford that, that much weight. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's it's not super hard. Like I I I don't want to sell it as being something where like like you, for the most part you don't have to go in and like look at the weight of your rocket and like measure out how much fuel you need and all that stuff. It's just like, all right, I need more fuel, so you pump more fuel on there and stuff or like i need more rockets but it's fun and it's cool and there's there's something so satisfying about having like four stages of rockets where you're going up and then you get in the upper atmosphere and you break off the rockets and then you launch the next one and you like see the rockets that broke off like traveling away it's just so cool i i I like that stuff a lot i i uh yeah yeah it is my my autistic side speaking out about that um so all right. Looks like we're getting ready to wrap up. I would like to give you guys a little glimpse of what's to come. Uh, so Action Points is going to be on the podcast. It wasn't, just wasn't happening today. Um, it's probably going to be next week. If not, it'll be the week after, most likely. Um, looking forward to that. Also, very much looking forward to Bloodborne. I'll be uh, just starting playing oh, that yeah. by the next Jesus. time we record. So. I am so fucking excited for that. Uh, I hope it doesn't let me down. I don't think it will, but, you know, as it's getting close, I'm just, you know, on the horse racing, hands are shaking. (laughs) And and Miyazaki even said a similar thing. He's he's like, this is the time that scares me most. Like, after I can't change it anymore, but before it comes up. I I was kind of... I'm looking forward to that. 
Yeah. So, are we, there's uh, your sneak peek. Are we doing an after show? Um, I can't do it tonight. I, I'm like got so much shit to do. <laughs> Oh, whatever, whatever. I'm probably gonna I, be up till like three, just working on shit. Um, just because I'm in a good mood, I'll stream. Okay, but, uh, but Brew won't be on it, so. So head on over to Hitbox.tv/slash/the/skippy/sigmatic. Oh, you remembered my address. Thank you. Yeah, because someone address. stole Skippy Sigmatic. I doxed those you. bastards. I doxed yeah, you. I know you're you doxed me. Well, okay. So thanks for tuning in, guys. We appreciate it. We're glad that you've been with us for all these months. Uh, we're actually coming up on six months doing the podcast. Holy shit! In a few more episodes, doesn't yeah. feel like it. It doesn't feel like it at all. Like it's just some that happens. It's pretty effortless. It's now, been actually. fun. It's yeah, been it's been absolutely. nice, and, and we've we've got some people. I like I like how that we've got people who I'm recognizing as coming back every week and commenting and all that stuff. That's yeah. it's always nice. Um, remember that you can comment on the web page because I always like it when people comment on the web page because usually it's a a longer thing than we see in just the chat scroll, and I like yeah. I like long thought give out like stuff. Proper responses. Yeah. So, uh, and you can ask questions too in the comments on the like. If you ask questions on this week's podcast, I'll see them and we can address them next week. So, all right. Thanks for watching, guys. I've been talking powder. I'm Skippy Zigmatic. Thanks. Bye bye. <laughs>